This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Claudette, a lovely fall, early fall day today. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and it was, even though... It was cold, the sun was shining, and it just warmed it up a little bit. So, yeah, I was impressed with today. And a gorgeous weekend, I have to say. Yeah, beautiful. And I noticed that people were taking part, not only in Newfoundland and Labrador, but I have also saw some news footage on across the country, like summer-like activities in October. Yeah. <laughs> well, we always do. Yeah, yeah. The early part of October, anyway. It starts to turn south for us in mid-October. <laughs> apparently, it's going to turn south for us maybe tomorrow. But, yeah, um, yeah, we usually get a few good uh, weeks out of October month. Uh, I don't know if I could do what some people were doing. They were swimming. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's for a braver yes. soul than I. <laughs> I know. And there's all this talk, too, not, not to, you know, go belager the point, but, um, you know, people do cold dips any time of the year but my goodness you got to be in the right frame of mind to be able to do that <sighs> polar bear dips i don't yes. know how people do it i do not know i mean my toes cramp up at salmon cove sands when the when the waves just come up over your toes just They're over like, eh. yes um <laughs> i don't know how you plunge your entire body into that exactly in the middle of summer let alone winter mm-hmm my goodness gracious. Anyway, braver souls than I, that's for sure. Well, um, in the news today, the provincial government is raising rates for home support agencies that help people who require extra assistance to stay at home. And there's been a real push towards this, this whole uh, concept of aging at home and keeping people in their home longer uh, so that they, you know, they're not in an institution or a, a, a health care facility or the like. They're in their own homes where they're comfortable and happiest, uh, whether they be seniors or people people who require extra care for one reason or another. Well, the province is providing an additional $7.9 million to allow for rate increases to help provide high-quality care and allow people who need support to live independently in their own homes. Health Minister Tom Osborne and Elizabeth Jenkins of the Home Care Association of Newfoundland and Labrador spoke with reporters at Confederation Building earlier today. VOCM's Richard Duggan was there. So delighted to be joined uh, by Elizabeth today for an announcement uh, for home care agencies. Um, We have uh, worked with the home care agencies. Um, I know there was a report done, I think, in 2019. We refreshed that through uh, Deloitte, um, uh, coinciding with the personal care home um, announcement we had last week. This will see an increase in funding for home care agencies uh, who look after uh, a group of uh, residents, uh, provide care for those residents uh, who need the the, uh, support of the home care agencies. So delighted to be at this stage today uh, where we can see uh, the continued care for those residents uh, provided through this funding uh, and uh, the valuable work that the home care agencies do. Elizabeth? On behalf of the membership of the Home Care Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, HCANL, we would like to thank the Department of Health and Community Services for their continued support for the home care industry. The Department of Health and Community Services and HNL, HCANL has been working collaboratively over the past number of years on quality improvements, revised operational standards, and of course the new service level agreements. 
these changes enable agencies to continue supporting home care recipients in the province, allowing them to age in place happily in their own homes. We look forward to continued collaboration with the Department for long-term sustainability of the industry. Thank you. Where does this go towards increased wages for current workers, or does this go towards recruiting more workers, or what does this exactly go towards? I guess both myself and Elizabeth can respond to that, but um, I mean, th this funding goes to ensure the viability, um, to ensure that the, the clients of the home support uh, agencies uh, can continue. It's a valuable um, a service that's provided. In terms of uh, workers, these workers are, are uh, many of them are unionized, not all, uh, but many of them are unionized. So that's not something that I can speak to uh, directly. Um, the um, any increase would be uh, determined between the agency uh, and the union through collective agreement and, and bargaining. HCANL, we, we represent uh, approximately 34 agencies province-wide, and we represent union and non-union. And the Deloitte report, this review was specifically done to look at long-term sustainability, increasing the standards of care uh, for our clients in the community. This goes directly, this funding goes directly towards the implementation of the operational standards, which are revised, and the new service level agreements. In addition to that, there are a number of financial pressure points um, with developing um, and following through, of course, uh, with these uh, standards, including accreditation. There is certainly insurance um, obligations uh, for us. And at the end of the day, it's to increase the standard of care. This part of funding is irrelevant to uh, the collective bargaining, and agencies will be going into meaningful collective bargaining with our union in 2024. So that is Elizabeth Jenkins of the Home Care Association of Newfoundland and Labrador and Health Minister Tom Osborne, who spoke with reporters earlier today at Confederation Building about this um, additional money to allow for rate increases to help provide um, quality care to people who need uh, extra support to live independently in their own homes. Well, coming up, VOCM's Allison King is going to join me here in studio to tell us a little bit more about a a small tent city that's been erected on the lawn across from Confederation Building uh, to draw greater government attention to the province's housing crisis. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we're back on VOCM News Talk. Linda Swain here. And for 
It's a pleasure to see you, Allison. Hello, <laughs> Allison King. Hello. So you were out and about today. You were up at Confederation Building for this uh, announcement on uh, foster families. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Uh, but on the way there, you noticed something different. What's going on? Yeah. So sometime in the last couple of days, um, some tents have been set up by the Court Real statue just across from Confederation Building uh, right on Prince Philip Drive. So what's going on there? I saw some of your uh, pictures that you had taken. There's a couple of tents there. There's a, a small group of people gathered. Uh, did you get a chance to talk to them, see what's on the go? Yeah, so I did speak with um, some of the people there. So um, uh, actually, I spoke with the man who was the first one to set up there a couple days ago. And he really said that he's not looking for um, money. He's not looking to go back into a shelter. He's really struggling to find housing. And I believe that's what most of the others there are in the same boat as well. They're just looking for a place to, uh, to lay their head. No doubt, an affordable place to live as well. Yeah, so that's a big issue. Um, I spoke with the gentleman, and he said that he's looked on Facebook, Kijiji. There's not a lot of housing out there, period, let alone if you are lower income and you're looking for a place. It is, it's hard for everyone to find housing, let alone um, someone in a homelessness-type situation. Uh, did any of the people there indicate to you how they're getting by right now? Well, um, most, most all of them I've spoken to were in and out of shelters, and they found that that just wasn't working for them. Um, some of them were homeless um, around April of this year, some a year ago. It, it really varies. But essentially what they'd said to me was shelters just don't work, and that's not the solution that they're looking for. They don't want to be bouncing in and out of those types of places. Um, one woman I spoke to, she said that she is a recovered drug addict, and really struggles when she goes back into those type of settings. Um, another guy, he said, really, it just comes down to finding a comfortable place to live that is affordable. And, and they're not finding those options right now. So I spoke with a couple of them and, and asked, you know, if you don't find a place to stay, you know, are you going to be here for the long haul? And they say that, yeah, they are trying to make a statement and they want to um, be out on the ground across from Confederation Building. And, and they have a number of tents there. I think there were seven there when I was there this morning. So um, you never know how many more people would show up, but they all have signage just indicating that, you know, housing is a human right and they are not able to find housing. So that's where they're at right now. No doubt. Very visible from the eighth floor. Yes, uh, very much so. And um, I did speak with NL Housing Minister Paul Pike just about um, housing and how difficult it is and what types of solutions his department are looking at. Um, so you'll hear a little bit from him as well. All right. And we'll uh, play a little bit of your interview with Paul Pike uh, coming up now right after this. Allison King, a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, and thank you very much, Allison. So, Allison did catch up with Paul Pike this morning about some of the housing concerns raised by that group outside Confederation Building and uh, the concerns that have been raised throughout the last number of months in particular. Here's what he had to say. I just wanted to get your response as the Minister of NL Housing to the tents that you've seen um, across the street that were set up um, over the last couple of days. Yes, uh, it's brought to our attention that there are tents. Uh, outside our building here. Uh, I guess we have to recognize that we have individuals uh, with very uh, diverse and complex needs in our society today, and we, we have to do what we can to help people. Um, 
and we decided uh, today to have uh, housing corporation officials go up and speak to these individuals just to see if there's anything that we could do, uh, let them know the programs that are available, and let them know that the help is there if they want it. Uh, we certainly don't want to see people living in tents, especially this time of year when it's getting much colder, but we, do, we have uh, sent our officials up to chat with the people out there just to gain, a, gain an, uh, you know, an insight into what, what types of needs that they have, and we will certainly address those needs. And that took place this morning? They were already there? Uh, they are either been there or on their way, but, but yes. Would you say that there's a housing crisis in the province right now? We have a we have a, certainly a need for more housing in the province. We we certainly would like to, uh, you know, look at, uh, at at our housing units. Uh, we're in the process. We've we've invested a lot of money in the last two years in in building units, in uh, affordable rentals, and uh, portable affordable rentals as well. So we're we're doing a lot. Uh, we know there's a need, and uh, we're, we're making announcements pretty well every week, uh, and we're trying as well to, uh, you know, deal with the homelessness uh, aspect of it as well. We, we're ma- we've made announcements in Stella Circle, Gathering Place, where we're going to see uh, by mid-next year, we're going to see an ex- uh, 30 ad- additional beds. We're going to see 56 transitional units. Uh, so like we're, we're, we're moving in the right direction, and uh, we'll be making other announcements as time goes forward. But if you look at the last two years and what we've done and the families that we're helping, not only like we, we've done a, a, a large number, helped a large number of families who, uh, who needed funding to you know, finish, do some home rentals and things like that. So we've done those, mostly seniors, by the way, but a lot of other families as well. And we've done a lot in the last couple of years, and we're continuing to do work. Uh, we have announcements this week on housing, and as we go forward, you'll see a lot more. Yeah, and when it comes to um, the expansion of shelters, and now there's going to be a new shelter for just men specifically, do you think those initiatives go far enough, or do you think there needs to be more um, quick and tangible solutions? Well, you know, our government uh, is, is, you know, would like to see everybody uh, have a roof over their head, and that's important to any any growth in that individual at all you're going to have to ensure that they have a safe environment in which they can they can live a place that they can go and call home and then we can start to work on other issues like finding work and so on we just introduced a pilot program uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, province-wide which will see people on low income be able to keep the, 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 the amount of money they get on, on, on the low-income supplement to, to go back to work. And uh, it's been very successful. So, you know, that, that's out there now, and a, and a lot of people are taking advantage of that. So we're hoping to get a lot of people back to work so gradually they'll be able to get off the income support program and they'll be able to move towards uh, more independence. So that is Minister Responsible for Newfoundland and Labrador Housing, Paul Pike, speaking with Allison King today at Confederation Building, uh, responding in particular to this uh, tent city, for want of a better term, uh, that's um, been erected just outside of Confederation Building across the road there near the Court Royal statue. Um, if um, And it appears to be growing since it uh, was put up there over the last day or two. Well, some sad news in the 
province's sporting um, community. One of the most celebrated athletes in our province's history has passed away. Mel Fitzgerald, who excelled in wheelchair basketball and wheelchair track and was Newfoundland and Labrador Male Athlete of the Year, helped lay the groundwork in this province for para-athletes. He won marathons in Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Honolulu. Uh, He represented Canada at two Paralympics, two Pan American Games, and the 1984 Gold Cup in Australia. He won gold medals at each of those competitions and set two world records at the 1980 Paralympics. Well, fellow wheelchair athlete and friend Joanne McDonald joins me now. Well, hello, Joanne. Hi, Linda. So, tell us a little bit about Mel Fitzgerald. Oh, wow! He was uh, he was an absolutely tremendous athlete, and competed and represented our province and represented Canada at many many uh, international competitions, marathons, um, fifteen hundred meters, and uh, competed. At, I believe was two Paralympics and two Pan American Games and. Uh, he was pretty well successful in, in all of those. And he was also a family man, uh, loved his family and his grandchildren and spent a great deal of time with them. Towards the latter part of his uh, years, he got involved in wheelchair curling and enjoyed that sport for um, several years before he headed off to New Zealand. And uh, he's been gone to New Zealand, now, I guess, for two or three years. Really putting Newfoundland and Labrador and Canada on that uh, Paralympic map. He was I would say one of the most outstanding wheelchair athletes in Canada at his time, for sure, and uh, setting world records and um, representing the country very proudly. Any idea how he got involved in in the world of sport? He became involved in wheelchair sports in 1977, and I became involved in 73, and I had known Mel, well, from rehab days, actually, very early on so we've been friends uh, most of our lives and uh, he joined wheelchair sports in 1977 and was smitten if you want to say that he absolutely loved the sport and uh, just extremely successful from the very get-go he was just an amazing athlete You've certainly uh, made your um, uh, mark in in terms of, uh, you know, um, serving as a uh, an inspiration to people. Did Mills serve a, a similar kind of role? Oh, I think he certainly did inspire a number of uh, young people to become involved in wheelchair sports and uh, various kinds of athletic endeavors. And uh, he, did, he did lots of uh, Speaking engagements, we both did speaking engagements uh, a number of years ago. We were trying to create uh, awareness around disability and uh, getting people to rethink their attitudes about individuals with disabilities. So we we did lots of speaking tours around the province at various schools. So he did awareness. He was, uh, again, like I said, a fan man. He was also uh, an entrepreneur. He had only owned business for quite a number of years. So, yeah, he was he was a busy man all around. Is there anything in particular that, you know, makes Newfoundland and Labrador special when it comes to uh, wheelchair sports, para-sports? I guess the only thing I can think of is that uh, when I look at Mel and his accomplishments, and of course when you look at Liam Hickey and uh, Roxanne, um, just a lot of hard work. Um, Mel, when I look back on the years that he was uh, competing, 
the man never stopped training or, or being creative in terms of making changes to the equipment that he was using. And uh, during one year, I think it was 1980, we went to the um, Paralympics. Uh, Mel, I think, actually took like three, four months off work and went to Ontario to train with one of the national coaches there. Uh, he was very, very dedicated. And I think that's one thing that we can see in, in individuals such as Liam and Roxanne and, uh, you know, other athletes that uh, have come up along the way. Just determination and hard work, I think, Linda, more than anything else. What is his legacy? How will he be remembered? I guess depending on who you're speaking with, whether it's family, friends, or competitors, it, it would vary. Uh, for me, I'll always remember him as a somebody who was just gave a great deal to his sport community and to his family. Um, and I think um, the first thing people will think about it would be his um, his sport involvement and his success with sports. I think he was also a very given person of his time and given to community. And when he was. Uh, during his uh, entrepreneur days, I think he was very, uh, very good with people who were coming in looking for support in terms of having equipment assessed or changed. And oftentimes he gave freely up his time and, uh, and energy to help people in tough situations. Certainly a tremendous loss. Uh, Joanne McDonald, we, uh, we send you our condolences and the condolences to uh, his family and, and the, the very much wider uh, sport community here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Thank you so much. Thank you, Linda. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye. And, of course, um, Mel Fitzgerald, uh, groundbreaking at the time. He won Athlete of the Year back in 1980, a time when, um, you know, considering an athlete like Mel Fitzgerald was was not often uh, part of um, the, the thought process, if you will. So absolutely groundbreaking there, a terrible, terrible loss, and uh, really helped he and Joanne McDonald, who uh, we just spoke with, uh, really helped to pave the way uh, for the uh, excellence in para sports that we've seen in recent years, not the least of which is uh, Katarina Roxon, of course, and Liam Hickey, you know, world-class athletes uh, from right here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, Claudette. Linda. Do you collect Tim Horton's hockey cards? No, I don't. Well, I have to say, I got a little fellow in my life who oh, yeah. loves them. I dare say. And uh, as soon as he found out that they were bringing them back for the fall, he's like, Mom, don't forget now to get me some Tim Hortons hockey cards. He asks his dad the same thing. So, you know, we usually come home with two or three <laughs> Smart. Uh, packs a day for him. Uh, but depending on how many trips we make to Tim's on a, on a particular day. But uh, it's uh, garnering a little bit of controversy here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Ooh. How so? Oh, well, (laughs) we're going to find out after. Right after (laughs) this. Um, So stay tuned. Uh, VOCM's Noah Shepard is up next. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. 
Well, it's not heartbreaking news by any stretch, but it is something that is getting a lot of people talking. Tim Hortons has increased the price of its popular hockey cards, and that has local collectors upset. I went through the Tims just a short while ago before the show, and uh, I picked up a set for a dollar with the price of a beverage. But if you're the type who wants to buy more than one set, and many people out there are, the price goes up to $2.99 without a beverage purchase. Uh, Last year, I believe it was $1.99. And here's the kicker. Some say the higher price only applies here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, Scott Sears is one of a number of people expressing concern over the new pricing, and he joins me now. Well, hello, Scott. Hello. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people know you for your uh, your backyard rinks um, hockey page during the winter months, of course, and uh, giving people tips and uh, sharing information about uh, how to get that perfect ice surface in your backyard. But uh, you're talking to us today about something completely different, and that is something else that's popular these days is those Tim Hortons collectors hockey cards. What have you noticed? Uh, yeah, Linda. Uh, so for the last couple of years, I've been collecting them with my uh, son and daughter, and you know it's it's been uh, an enjoyment going to trade nights and stuff like that. But uh, when I went out uh, the other day, um, October second is when it launched. I was surprised that uh, the price uh, was was higher than what it was in the previous four or five years. And uh, what we're after finding out is that uh, you know instead of the uh, dollar purchase for a pack uh, with a beverage it's now a dollar 50 so a 50 percent increase and to buy a pack outright instead of being a dollar 99 it's uh, 2.99 so uh, quickly just uh, done a little bit of research to find out you know okay is, is the price increased uh, for everyone or whatever the case may be but what we're after finding out uh, through through speaking to folks in other provinces and uh, and some people after getting through to uh, I think corporate uh, Tim Hortons is that, uh, yeah, it's only Newfoundland that has the price increase. And uh, the words that were used for a few folks when when, uh, speaking to uh, the corporate office was that uh, we were in a test market. So, uh, yeah, as you can imagine, for a lot of folks now, uh, you know, at a time when everything is inflation, 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 and now one of your uh, pastimes, it's really putting, uh, you know, a little bit of a damper on on the whole thing, and and there'll be a lot of people probably not collecting or getting as much as usual because of it. So when they say a test market, uh, what do they mean? Just to see if people are willing to pay that for those hockey cards? I honestly don't know. And I I reached out uh, as well to try and uh, just just get some information prior to me hearing that, but... uh, and the uh, local group there that we got put together just for trading, uh, someone did get through to uh, corporates, and uh, they, uh, the lady that, that he spoke to, lady or gentleman, um, basically said that we were in a test market. They were aware of it, and and uh, when asked if you know if the price was going to change and if we were going to be paying the same as the rest of the country and ter- provinces and territories, uh, she couldn't answer the question. And and right now, like all the advertising has been changed since and. Yeah, so it looks like we're going to be paying more. So what are people in your group saying? Oh, well, there's a lot of people saying they're just not not collecting them. They they might get one pack with their coffee, whereas they used to buy, you know, several packs trying to collect and get a set. And then there's some people going as far and as upset as saying that, you know, they're going to sell the cars that they got from previous years. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's probably... 
for most it's probably more about the, the concept of it and just the idea that you know we've been signaled out and, and we've been chosen as the province that's going to pay more for you know this pastime that we've come to really really enjoy so, uh, as you say, you know, this, this is just a, a bit of light fun for some people. Some people take it very seriously, of course. Uh, so anybody who wants their hockey cards or whose kids, and I've got one who asked me the other day for some, um, where can they get them? Are they going online now to get them from the mainland? Well, the, the, and just, just to give you an idea, the, the normal price on the mainland and the same price we would have paid last year for, for a collector, someone might go out and buy a box of these which got 100 packs. And it would work out to your dollar ninety nine a pack, so you'd pay your one hundred and ninety nine plus HSC. So for someone now to purchase that same box here this year in Newfoundland, or or even only six or seven months later from the last set, uh, you're paying you know two hundred and ninety nine. So you're paying three hundred plus HSC, uh, which is another one hundred and fifteen dollars on top. So yes, you're exactly right. There are there are some people that already suggested that they were buying them on eBay or buying them at a and getting them shipped from a from a, a Tim Hortons up on the mainland, and and they're, again they're paying the 199 rather than the 299. Yep. And do they still have the prize cards like they have in the past? Yes, there's there's still uh, cards there that you can uh, redeem for uh, different types of cards and stuff. Yes, that's in there. So theoretically, I suppose, if there's fewer Newfoundlanders and Labradorians buying the cards because the price is up, there's fewer chances that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians could possibly win a prize card. Oh, no doubt. Yes, if you're not buying them, yep, for sure. Um, this is uh, interesting, Scott. I know it's not heartbreaking news or anything, but it is certainly this kind of thing that gets people talking, and we expect we're going to be hearing a lot more from this in the days ahead. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for the opportunity. Scott Sears is uh, one of a number of people concerned over this. Uh, he's saying that uh, the price for a pack of cards has gone up. Now, I went through the drive-thru earlier today, and I got it for the same price, a dollar, uh, with the price of a beverage. But I did notice in the fine print on the sign that it is $2.99 without a beverage purchase. So some people would go in, get a coffee, and say, give me three packs of cards. Right. Yeah. Right? Uh, so that's gone up, and it's gone up uh, significantly, because last year it was $1.99, now it's $2.99. Uh, he claims, um, Scott Sears claims, that that's only in Newfoundland for some reason. And I don't know if it's just on the boxes. Maybe we're going a little bit, you know, <laughs> gung-ho with the buying the big box. Because some people buy the full box, you know what I mean, of the, of the cards. And that's a couple hundred dollars. So Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a huge, oh, yeah. huge purchase. People are into it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the commercials, but I didn't yeah, think people no. would buy them by the box. Very much into it. And there's Facebook groups and all yeah. the rest of it. Now, uh, I have reached out to Tim Hortons to see if that's true, to see if we're somehow in a test market, as as is being uh, discussed on, uh, you know, social media. Um, and I haven't received a response yet, but that's not unusual. These things usually take time. So I will let you know uh, once I hear back from Tim Hortons. But like I said, I went through the drive-thru today, bought a pack of cards with my uh, ice cap, and uh, and I bought them for a dollar. So where's the, yeah, there's a little bit of a discrepancy. There you go. So uh, anyway, um, I would like to hear from others if they've encountered similar types of issues um, and they're welcome to give me a call. Well, 
Uh, speaking of drive-throughs, I have noticed. Uh, I noticed this morning uh, in uh, the drive-through uh, that I go through in the mornings uh, a blue Ford F one fifty, and it is absolutely festooned in colored handprints. And um, you may have noticed it driving around town yourself. Well, Charity, who is Frog Clan and a member of the Quadacha Nation, and Cameron West, who is with the Beaver Clan and a member of the Lake Babini Nation of uh, British Columbia, have been walking across Canada for months now to spread education and raise awareness about missing and murdered Indigenous people. They live in Prince George, B.C., and uh, started walking uh, back on May the 4th, would you believe? They just arrived in Newfoundland and Labrador and before they head home again and um, VOCM's Ben Murphy caught up with them earlier today. So uh, we started our walk across Canada to raise awareness on missing and murdered Indigenous people. So that includes men, women, children, two-spirited. Um, and the truck is covered with handprints. Um, so if you could see on the, the most recent ones where the mother and father is Chantel John and her family and um, Con River First Nation. Um, they're also covered in orange handprints, which are for the children. So it's the residential school survivors have come and put their handprints on there. The blue handprints are obviously for our men that have gone missing because the rates of our men going missing and being murdered are extremely high as well. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, the rainbow ones are for our two-spirited people that have gone missing or have been murdered. They're often targeted quite a bit for their differences right um and the fact of the matter is is that all indigenous populations regardless of how they identify they are targeted because the there's no police efforts put in to search for them or to solve the crimes against them and you could see that going on very well when you look at what's going on with the landfills right now um there has never before been a family that has needed to do a feasibility study to get their remains of their loved ones back after they've been known to be murdered by a serial killer. It's been a long journey to this point to get to Newfoundland and Labrador all the way from BC. How has the journey been so far? It's been amazing. It's been tough. It's been quite spirit spiritual. And it's been very um, challenging and rewarding at the same time. Um, it's been humbling, very humbling, yes. and we met a lot of great people along the way as well, and uh, we've seen a lot of country. <laughs> Is there one part of your journey that could be you could point at and say, you know, that was very impactful, the most poignant part of your journey so far? Oh, today was hard. (laughs) We got up with the sunrise to go say prayers for our missing and murdered Indigenous people. And I took out the photo that my son sent of his dad because he's been missing since 2012 from Prince George, B.C. And I took out the photo and I was just overcome with emotion. Like I just, And we went out to, what is it, Cape Spear? Yeah. yeah, we went out to Cape Spear with the sunrise and done our prayers. And I was just overcome with emotion. I couldn't stop crying. And uh, for, for myself, our very first day of our journey, that's been very, it's been a, a great journey from, from there. Um, we started walking on May 4th and we are in Siska Nation as in Blackfoot territory. 
and we met uh, Keith Running Bird and his sister Rhonda Running Bird was um, murdered. I think uh, over 20 years ago now and his story was uh, the very first story that we covered. So that is Charity and Cameron West uh, from Prince George, B.C. Charity is a member of the Quadacha Nation, and uh, Cameron is with the Lake Bambine Nation uh, in British Columbia, and they have uh, just uh, concluded their uh, cross-country walk in um, uh, to raise awareness about missing and murdered Indigenous people. And as you can say, as see, they were quite emotional when they arrived here um, at the end of their journey and if you see them uh, show them a little support Uh, when we come back we're going to hear from uh, privacy commissioner michael harvey this is news talk on vocm get lost in the music of legendary artists like elton john the beatles and more join claudette barnes every sunday from 12 to 1 p.m and relive fond memories through the power of music with sunday melodies on your vocm And we are back. Well, Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey is hoping to have his full authority restored when amendments are made to the Access to Information and Protection of Privacy legislation in the House of Assembly this fall. Here's some of what he had to say. This is a a development that um, has been going on for many years, but took a turn Earlier, earlier this fall, I'll, I'll try to explain it in in the simplest terms possible. And this goes back to some of the other basic principles of of right to know week. Um, you know, and the the right to know week principles. The very last of them is that there needs to be independent oversight. So the way that the access to information system works here and in, in other uh, in other systems is if your access to information coordinators within public bodies have done that, done their task, right? So they've, they, you've made an access request. They've started from the principle of the right to know. They've uh, gone through and identified the exceptions, and then they give you, they give you some records. Uh, and they give you the records that you're entitled to less the, less the ones that, uh, that the exceptions apply to. Well, let's say that you're not happy with that. The reason that my office exists is that they can come to us. We have a lot of experience in assessing it. It's uh, pretty. It's not the only thing we do, but it is the majority of what we do is respond to access to information requests. Uh, and we can look, we can compel the public bodies to show us the documents that were withheld, and we can uh, determine whether or not the um, these documents met the the legal threshold for the exception or not, and then we can make recommendations back to the public body, and the public body can decide to accept our recommendations or if not they can they can go to court. We're not the final word in this. We're the first step in a process that can uh, that can go to court. Uh, so the courts are always available, and people actually have the right to skip us and go to court. But the reason that our act puts an office like us in place is that we are independent from government, we are fast, so we are legislatively obliged to give you our report within uh, within 65 business days or about three months, uh, and we're free. You don't need to pay anything to make a complaint to our office, unlike uh, the courts, which come with fees. 
So we're that's the that's the essence of our office. So where where this becomes complicated with solicitor client privilege is that uh for many years now um the government here and, and not only here but in some other jurisdictions as well but here in particular the government has, has said well no solicitor client privilege is, is really 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 important and and we don't doubt by the way that it is very important it's a fundamental principle of our justice system but they'll say no you know we're not uh, we don't have to show – we don't think the law says that we need to show uh, those records to the commissioner. So this puts us in a really difficult spot because the act, the act says, well, if the government is going – if the public body is going to be claiming that an exception applies, then it needs to prove that it does apply. And the, the easiest way to prove uh, – to at least start proving it is to show us the documents. You know, how can we tell that solicitor-client privilege applies if we can't actually see them? So, uh, on the other hand, if they say, "Well, no," all when, when it comes to that particular exception, solicitor-client privilege, uh, all we're going to do is we're we're just going to say it applies, and we're we're not going to show you the documents, and you can't make us. Um, and if you don't like it, you have to go to court. So that that means that. Uh, that opens up a big hole in our process because um, it means that if you came and made an access request, you know the the applicate the exceptions on some things. Well, we could give you a review and an opinion on those, but on solicitor client privilege, uh, unless you showed us the documents or in some other way convinced us that the exception applied, then then we wouldn't be able to do our jobs, and that means that the system is open to abuse. That means knowing that public bodies might be more likely to call things legal advice when they're not. And and we've seen this happen in the past, the overbroad claim of solicitor-client privilege. Uh, so the, con- the problem that we're concerned about is that people will start to doubt and uh, are our access to information system and and worry that public bodies are are uh, using this um, uh, this approach to to hide things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to hide and when trust is eroded in our access to information system then in in my view trust is eroded in our democracy in general uh, this was a, a major step forward to addressing this was in 2015 when the House of Assembly unanimously agreed that the OIPC should have the ability to review these records. Um, but, you know, we've uh, a recent Supreme Court of Canada uh, decision uh, and then a number of Newfoundland and Labrador court decisions have kind of put us back, uh, uh, you know, to the position that we were in at the time of the infamous Bill 29 when we, we couldn't restore it. So so we have called on the government to you know remedy this with a legislative fix. Um, and uh, so it remains to be seen what they're going to do with that, uh, if if they're going to fix it. I, as, you know, the the minister made some some comments on that. It wasn't entirely clear what his intentions were, but uh, we're certainly optimistic that the uh, the government, uh, in as early as this fall, uh, could make the relatively simple fix that is required to um, uh, to address this problem. 
And that is Privacy Commissioner Michael Harvey. Um, I spoke with him last week, but that is uh, what he had to say about uh, these amendments that are coming to uh, ATIP legislation in the fall sitting, or hope that uh, are coming in the fall sitting of the House of Assembly, which starts up just after the Thanksgiving break, which is next weekend. Well, uh, the House of Commons has uh, elected its first black speaker. He's 54-year-old Liberal MP Greg Fergus, who was first elected in Quebec's Hull-Aylmer region back in 2015. Uh, MPs welcomed Fergus with a standing ovation. During his speech to the House this morning, Fergus pleaded, uh, sorry, pledged to lead firmly, thoughtfully, and collaboratively. And of course, Fergus replaces Anthony Rota, who um, had to resign uh, following that uh, shocking incident in the House of Commons whereby he invited uh, a member of the uh, Waffen-SS into the House of Commons and um, introduced him as a Canadian hero. That is something that shocked Canadians uh, from coast to coast uh, once it was learned exactly who um, uh, Yaroslav Hunka was. And um, uh, not to mention, of course, the Jewish community right across Canada who are shaken to the very core by that. So uh, Anthony Rota, of course, uh, resigned last week uh, following that, um, well, you know, some have called it a national uh, or an international embarrassment. Um, And baseball fans in Toronto area skipping work, heading for the pub this afternoon as the Toronto Blue Jays hit the field in Minneapolis for their first playoff game against the Minnesota Twins. This is the postseason now, October baseball as they like to call it. Uh, uh, Toronto squeaked in um, through a variety of means. They lost their last uh, two outings, uh, which was kind of weird to see that big um, celebration after a, uh, after a loss. But uh, there you have it. They did celebrate at uh, Rogers Center on, um, what day is it today? (laughs) Sunday. Uh, And uh, VOCN's Sarah Strickland was there. She even got uh, sprayed by a bit of champagne by the likes of Whit Merrifield. Have you seen any of the video? I saw a picture. I just saw a picture. (laughs) And her face was glowing. Oh, she was loving every Every moment of of it. it. Some people would be like, "Eh, why are you spraying me with Mm -hmm. champagne? She was probably (laughs) licking it off herself. She was (laughs) Loving it, loving every moment of it, right in the thick of it all. Uh, So uh, right-hander, of course, Kevin Gosman uh, will start for the Jays in game one. The Jays advance to the playoffs after claiming the league's third and final wild card spot. They haven't won a playoff game since reaching the American League Championship Series back in 2016. So all eyes will be uh, in on uh, the game in Minnesota. Uh, today. So uh, looking forward to watching that. Uh, I think it starts 6 o'clock Newfoundland time, if I'm not mistaken. I have to double check my listings, but uh, yeah, for sure, uh, for anybody who's been following baseball at all, and uh, the Blue Jays are really Canada's team, I guess. Um, this is a you know an exciting time and sarah strickland is right there with you (laughs) anyway we'll be back tomorrow uh do join us then uh, by all means and um have a great evening